Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. All right, I don't know about you, but I look around the world and I say, man, there is so much happening and so much going on. Maybe you agree with that. I mean, you look around, there's droughts and there's fires and there's global warming and there's famine and there's disease and there's pestilence and, and these viruses that keep coming and, and, and even and the global pandemic and you have wars and Israel, even in Gaza, is launching rockets into Israel again. You have Hamas or you have uh, Iran and and. and, and and Russia get cozying up together, and you just start looking at everything that's happening and go, man, what's up? What's going on, and where does this go, and where does this head? Are, are we civilization? Are we in trouble? Are we in the last days? Are we in the end of days? Are we in the last times? Well, I think Scripture has a lot to say about this. And so last week, we kicked off this new series, looking through the book of Revelation, that gives us some insight and gives us some answers. But we're not going to go hunting for some particular answers that might fit one of our, own, our narrative that we want to be true. We're going to study properly, and we're going to go through Revelation. And so last week, we started in verse one, uh, chapter 1 of Revelation. Chapter 1, what it does for us is it sets the stage for the rest of the book of Revelation. In chapter 1, while it's a historical document in part, we also learned last week that it's a prophetic book. The prophecy actually makes up 26% of Scripture. So it's important for you and I to know prophecy because it's 26% of the Bible and to know it and to study it. Revelation chapter 19, Jesus it says the the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I think about your testimony. What is your testimony? It's, it's, it's what God's doing in your life. It's who you are. It's what you're about. And this says the spirit of Jesus' testimony. What Jesus is about is prophecy. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Everybody say reliable. The prophetic message is reliable, and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in, the dark, in a dark place. And so we discovered last week that if you and I will read Revelation, if we'll apply it, that we will receive a blessing from God. Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises you and I a, a blessing if we would read it. And I asked you the question, why would you choose to rob yourself of that blessing? If God wants to bless you, wouldn't you want to receive that blessing? And so I'm really hoping through this series that you will be reading the book of Revelation. Outside of Sunday mornings, that you'll dive in. I hope you'll read it at least once or twice, maybe even three times throughout this fall as you try to absorb it and take it in and be blessed by God. Each week on social media, we'll put out there what we're going to be talking about, what chapters or chapters we'll look in the upcoming week. And so at least read that so you can walk in here on, some, on Sunday mornings and have some uh, familiarity with what we're going to be talking about. And so we also discovered that revelation, which means unveiling or revealing, we also discovered it's not just a prophetic book, but it also reveals to us a person, and that's Jesus Christ. And not just human Jesus that, that we see in the Gospels, but the deity of Jesus and all his glory and all of his splendor. And so at the end of John chapter 1, 
John was then commanded to write this down. In fact, I want to see this together. We're going to pick up in, excuse me, I said it again. I'm going to say John and Revelation back together all morning long. Every time I say John, I mean Revelation, okay? And so anytime I say John, um, in fact, I even wrote John in my notes here. So anytime I say that, just like put up your hand and say, oh, you did it again, Chris. So uh, John means Revelation. So Revelation chapter 1. Uh, and, you can, and we've been having computer problems, and so if everything disappears, uh, that you're going to need the Version app all the more to follow along with us. Our notes are in there and everything. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, John is being commanded by Jesus to write, and it says this, verse 19, it says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. So John, chapter, Revelation, chapter 1, verse 19, is actually um, an outline for the entire book of Revelation. And so let's look at it again. Write the things which you have seen. And so in chapter 1, which we looked at a lot last week, John saw a vision of Jesus. And so he writes the details of what he had seen. John knew this human Jesus from 60 years prior, but here in this revelation, this revealing, John gets to see Jesus in his glory. And so John writes what he saw. And then second, John is told to write the things which are. The things which are. And so Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are are, are about the things that are during John's period of time when he is alive. That's the what is now of verse 19. And John was given something by Jesus in verse 20. John didn't have to guess about everything he saw because there's going to be symbols and pictures. He's not going to necessarily understand everything. But some of what was given, Jesus interpreted it for him and gave him the meaning of what those earlier verses meant. And so in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, John was given this. It says, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on the right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, John gets part of of the interpretation here because that word for for angels there is actually a Greek word for messengers. And so John's like, well, is that angels or is that elders or pastors? Because that word is used interchangeably for all those type of messengers. But what is clear to John is that the seven lampstands that he saw Those are seven churches. And so then what does John do? He writes about, those are the things that are, he writes about those seven churches that are, during his time, he writes about those in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. They were literal congregations uh, that existed during John's time in what is modern day Turkey. Now, some commentators and interpreters of Revelation, they say that these seven churches also represent seven, the seven periods of church history, that all of church history can be broken down into these seven periods. And so John writes to the churches in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. That's the what is now of Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Now, we're not going to go through chapters 2 and chapters 3 because we did that last summer. And so if you're interested in what John has to say and Jesus has to say to the churches, go on to our podcast, YouTube, our, our website, and you could track along with us there and, and see what we talked about in Revelation chapter 2 and in chapter 3. Now verse 20 of Revelation says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I think it's fitting that the church is represented by a lampstand. What are lampstands? 
lampstands are used to to raise an oil lamp higher so that the light can have more impact and more influence. In fact, what did Jesus say about you and I in Matthew chapter 5? He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, uh, we understand that verse, uh, we're we're the light of the world, but sometimes we don't understand the second part of that verse. What does that really mean? Well, to give you some context, and some of us have been to Israel, so you're going to know what I'm talking about, but one of the things you learn when you go to Israel is, and, and, and the guys talk about this, is when you're at the Sea of Galilee, and you're sitting on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, actually sitting anywhere, but you can picture Jesus doing the Beatitudes, the Mount of Beatitudes on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and you're looking out over the Sea of Galilee. And if you look up to the right or to the west, there's this big hill or mountain right there. And on top of that hill or mountain in the first century was a city. And so, every, no matter where you were in the, around the region of the Sea of Galilee, you could see that city. How much more could you see that city at night when the lights were happening and going on and there were lights? Everybody could see that city. And so when Jesus says, you're the light of the world, a town built on a hill can't be hidden. They're all like, yeah, we get it. We know. We see that city every day. You can't hide that. And when the lights are on, you can't hide it. Everybody sees it. I want to ask you a question. Do you think about your life, your testimony, your influence, your impact? Do you think about it that way, that you're a light? Does that enter into the equation for you? That that Jesus says you're the light of the world. And that means, man, you're you're to shine bright in every circumstance, every situation you're in, every environment you're in. We're called to be a light to every person, every team we're involved with, every company we're a part of, to our neighbors, to our friends, to other faculty, whatever the case may be, we're called to be the light of Jesus. So I ask you, is your light shining bright and clear so that people can come out of the darkness, so that people can receive the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus? The church is a light, the lampstand, a city on a hill. And so Jesus tells John to write about the things which he has seen. That's the vision of chapter 1. Write about the things that are, that's, that's the churches in his time, chapters 2 and 3. And then the last phrase, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, and he says, also write about what will take place later. Now that phrase, will take place later, it's the Greek words, metatauta, and it means after these things, after these events, after this, beyond this. So Jesus is telling John to write about what happens after chapters 2 and chapters 3. So Jesus is commanded to write. But now, God's going to call him up to heaven. So John's going to be called up to heaven. I want you to check this out. We're in John chapter 4, so you can go to John where will be the remainder of the morning. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, After this, and that's the same Greek word, metatauta, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, by the way, trumpet, you think about that? that that's the same um, verse that we're going to see that word trumpet. It was back in chapter 1. You're going to hear that multiple times. Speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. Metatauta. So after this or after these things, here's the question. 
After what things? After the vision he saw in chapter 1 of Jesus? After chapters 2 and 3? After the things of the church age? And now suddenly John is called up to heaven. He's in the presence of God, and he writes. And he writes in the presence of God about what he saw. Now, the church has been the focus of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Nineteen times the word church appears in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Jesus and the church, Jesus and the church. The church is front and center. Then starting in chapter 4, the church seems to not be seen anymore. It's not spoken about. It's not mentioned at all in Revelation until you get to when Jesus comes back at the end of Revelation, when he comes back and he establishes his kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth are developed. Again, the word church appears 19 times, chapters 1, 2, and 3. After that, we don't see it until after chapter 19, which we're going to talk about in a moment. In fact, the very last mention of the church is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Next verse, flip the page, chapter 4, verse 1, John says, metatauta. After these things, after these things, after the church, after the things of the church, after the church age has run its course. So there you have it. It's the three basic divisions of the book of Revelation. Write about the things which you have seen, chapter 1. The things that are, chapters 2 and 3. And about the things that will take place after those things, beyond those things, and that's chapters 4 through the remainder of Revelation. If you can get that outline in your head, it, makes, it helps Revelation make a lot more sense to us. Now, in chapter 4, we see that John is transported to heaven. And many scholars and teachers believe that, that this depiction we have of John being transported to heaven is a type or it's a, it's a reference or it's a symbol, it's a picture of what is referred to as the rapture of the church. Everybody say rapture. The rapture of the church. Now, the rapture is a term used to describe Jesus coming down from heaven into the clouds, taking up Christians with, to be with him, and then taking them to heaven. And while there is no passage of Scripture that tells us when that will happen, many believe that the, the weight of circumstantial evidence makes the strongest case for what, what is called the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jesus comes and takes the church before the tribulation. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Before the tribulation, the tribulation is that those events that happen in Revelation chapters 6 through 18, that, that Jesus is going to come for the church before that. Because again, 19 times the church is mentioned in chapters 1, 2, and 3. After that, during the tribulation period, you don't see the church mentioned again. Now, the rapture got a bad rap, okay? It got a bad rap. Because there was a season about 30 years ago when all these people were predicting the time that Jesus was going to come back and rapture the church. And it made a lot of news back then. There was one author, Edgar Wisenant, who published a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is in 1988. Now, that date came and went. Oops. And so uh, he realized, and he dug into Scripture more, and he realized, oh, wait a second. I missed it. Actually, that was, I had my dates wrong. And so he wrote another book called The Final Shout, Rapture, 1989. 
Well, that date came and went. And since he had a three-book deal that he had, no, no, I don't know if that was the case. After that happened, then he writes a third book called The Final Shout, 1990. Date came and went. He figured he better lay low for a while. He pops back up on the scene, and then he wrote another book, The Final Shout, 1994. Listen, Scripture is crystal clear that no one knows when the rapture will be. No one knows. But because of all the bad teaching about it, some actually dismiss the rapture altogether, and that's unfortunate because it's a real event. It's a distinct event. The rapture is an event for the church. Everybody say for. It's for the church. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 14. The Apostle Paul talked about it in a couple places. One was in, was in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I think our best description is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes to these Thessalonian, the Thessalonian church because they were worried and they were concerned. Paul had told them that Jesus was going to return. They had falsely assumed that was going to happen in their lifetime. Well, a bunch of Christians had died. A bunch of their family and friends had already died in the Lord. And so they were all concerned and worried. Hey, what about them? And so Paul writes to address that. And he says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. He said, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's saying, don't worry about them. Those of us who, if you're still alive, you're not going to precede them. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Same language of, of Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 4. And, and the voice, uh, uh, well, uh, excuse me, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So he's telling them, hey, don't worry about your friends and family who've gone to be with the Lord. They're going to fr- be raptured first. They're going to have front row seats to this event. Verse 17, and after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Man, what an incredible passage. And I want you to notice, it. Tell, in fact, I, I didn't write it down, but, but next verse, verse 18, I'm pretty positive. Uh, someone verify that I'm not making this up. Doesn't it say encourage one another with these words? Am I just going off of memory? Does it say that in the next verse? Somebody, does it say encourage? Did it say it? Okay, just tell me yes or no. Okay, yes, okay. So it said, yeah, sorry, I didn't put that in my notes. It says encourage one another with these words, with what we just read. Now, the word caught up to the, with the Lord in the air, the word caught up is the Greek word harpazo. Now, this word is used 18 times in the New Testament. And when it's translated, it's translated a few different ways. It's translated in those 18 times, it's translated as to catch up, to take up something by force, to snatch away quickly, to pull, to pluck, to grab a hold of. And so when Jerome translated the Greek translation of the Bible into Latin at around 400 A.D., and by the way, that was the Bible that was used all the way up until the Reformation. When he translated this word caught up uh, harpazo, to snatch, to grab quickly, when he translated it into Latin, he used the Latin word raptus, from which you and I get our word rapture. 
And so, uh, from time to time, people might say, well, rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, which Bible are you reading? You read the Bible that was from 400 AD all the way to the Reformation that was in Latin, it would be the word raptus. I want you to listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, in the Wuist translation of the New Testament. It was written, written by Kenneth Wuist, who is a, I'm probably butchering his name, who's a Greek scholar at Moody Bible Institute. And so I checked with Pastor Derek to see if he was one of his professors. He said, no, not at the same time. But here's how he translates 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. He says this, We will be snatched away forcibly in masses of saints, having the appearance of clouds for a welcoming meeting with the Lord in the lowest atmosphere. Man, what an incredible picture, a great image of what this rapture will be like. So you have the rapture of, of Christians to be caught up with Jesus in the air before the events that take place in Revelations chapter 6 through 18. Now, this rapture, this event, this catching up to Jesus is different than an event that is referred to as the coming of the Lord, or, this, or excuse me, the second coming of Christ. At the rapture, Jesus comes for the church. At the second coming, Jesus comes with the church. At the rapture, Jesus comes for the church. At the second coming of Christ, Jesus comes with the church. Now, some will teach that that event is all one event, that we are raptured with Jesus, we go up into the clouds, and we immediately turn around and come back down. I don't think that makes sense biblically, but certainly there's many who act, you know, believe that and believe that's how it'll play out. But I don't think it plays out that way. And one of the reasons is because there are too many scriptures that make it crystal clear the rapture can happen at any moment, that it could happen at any moment. But based on the book of Revelation and also knowing what we know on the book of Daniel, if the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation period, then we can know exactly when the rapture is going to happen. But the Bible has too many passages that say we can't know when it is. Again, the rapture can take place at any moment. It can literally happen while we're here right now in this service. And so if all of a sudden all, most of us are gone and you're still sitting here, it's a bad preacher joke. It really is. I mean, it is. We laugh. We joke. But here is the honest. I mean, here's the reality. Seriously. If all of a sudden millions and millions and millions of people are gone and you're still here, it means you didn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's just the reality. Jesus said many people will, you know, prophesy in my name and this is my name and claim this. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. And so the reality is God wants you to be right with him because he can come at any moment, even while this service is happening. I had a friend uh, last service who, who was here and just he had some circumstances. He was like, man, I'm excited about the rapture, but I kind of hope it delays for just a little bit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, I just got fired from my job. And I said, well, that would be a good reason for the rapture to come now. And, it, and, and he said, no, 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 they gave me a year severance. My wife just got a new job, and the money they gave me for, for medical is also on top of that. And I got an interview for another job that most likely I'll get, and it'll pay me 30% more than my other job. And I'm like, uh, I'm praying the rapture happens today. <laughs> oh. Jesus said this, Matthew 25, you too must keep watch. 
for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. We can't know when it's going to happen. The second coming of Jesus, we know when that's going to happen. That's going to happen after the events of Revelation 6 through 18. That happens in Revelation 19. And when Jesus comes back, his second coming, he's going to come with the church. And the whole world, every eye will see living and dead, will see his return. I would say this, if you, if you can get this clearly in your mind, the rapture, Jesus coming for the church, the second coming of Christ, Jesus coming with the church, if you can get that clear in your mind, prophecy, revelation, it's a little bit easier to understand. Okay, so we just read in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's writing about the rapture of the church. That's what John experiences in, in Revelation chapter 4. He also, John hears a voice like a trumpet, and it says, Revelation chapter 4, come up here. It's similar language to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when Jesus raptures the church. John hears the voice, come up here. And so we are getting a picture also with what happened to John of what will happen to God's people when the church age is done. The church will be raptured to heaven. Now, the, the voice like a trumpet, again, John chapter four, uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, what did it say? It said, come up here. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if that voice that God, John heard that said, come up here, I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happens to us, that we all of a sudden hear the trumpet or whatever, and all of a sudden we hear the voice and it says, come up here. Though I personally think the voice is going to say, giddy up, and then boom, we're there with the Lord and like we're raptured with the Lord. That's the Chris translation, you know, no one's bought that translation, but, but you know, the voice is going to say, come up here. And so we have chapters 4 and 5 with John in heaven. And it's a, it's, it's a type, it's a picture of the church being taken up in heaven, up to heaven. And then back on earth, chapters 6 through 18, it's the worst period the world had, has ever known. As God unleashes his judgments upon the earth, why? Because people have chosen to reject Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah. Jesus even said, if those days aren't, wouldn't be cut short, then the whole world would be destroyed and wouldn't survive. And then after those seven years, after the six, chapter 6 through 18 of Revelation, Jesus is going to return with the church, and we're going to return with him. So, John's commanded to write about what he's seen. John's called, and what was happening, and then what will happen later. John's called up to heaven, and when he gets to heaven, John is just overcome by the glory of the Lord. He's overcome by glory. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, it says this. It says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Seven's used a lot in Revelation, so let me just tell you seven. It means fullness, completeness. The seven spirits of God, the fullness of God are, is there. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. This throne room scene is very similar to what we see in Isaiah and in Ezekiel and in Daniel. 
And so John, he's caught up into heaven. And look at verse 2. What's the first thing that grabs his attention? First thing that grabs his attention is a throne. The first thing that grabs his attention is not his uncle or his aunt or his grandparents or, or his friends who'd gone before him. The first thing he sees is a throne. Throne is mentioned 13 times in, in, in Revelation chapter 4. It's the dominating feature of heaven. And it represents the sovereignty, the reign, the control, the authority of the one who sat on the throne. And then John looks and he sees the one who sat on the throne. And he say, again, he's supposed to write what he sees. So how do you write the indescribable? Well, he chooses to describe it or write about it by using stones. And, and he tells us that, that it had, the one on the throne had the appearance of a jasper stone and a ruby stone or a sardius stone. Those aren't just any stones. Those were the first stone and the last stone on the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. Don't have time to get into all what that represent, but it was significant. And then you look at Revelation chapter 4, you look at verse 4, and you look at verse 10, and John sees 24 elders who are sitting on thrones that are surrounding the bigger throne. Now, 24 is a representative number. You see that throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. When you had the genealogy, you had 24 patriarchs, which represented all the patriarchs. Also in the Old Testament, you had 24 courses of priests who served at the temple, those 24 courses of priests represented all the priests, and in fact, they represented all of Israel. You had 24 courses of Levitical singers who represented all the Levitical singers, and in fact, all the people of Israel. And so many commentators believe that this 24 representative number, these 24 elders, and that's now a New Testament term, it's a Greek word presbyteros used in the New Testament, that these 24, again representative, these 24 elders represent the church. The 24 elders represent the church in heaven. And some say during this coming seven-year tribulation period. Now why do they think it's the church? Why isn't it somebody else? Why isn't it a different group? Why isn't it angels or someone else? Well, if you jump ahead to Revelation chapter 5, in verse 9, it says this. It says, they, meaning the 24 elders, sang a new song, sang. Now, I want you to, as we read this, think about who can sing this song. Who can sing this song? And here's the song, these 24 elders. Again, it's a representative number. What do they sing? They sing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain, talking about Jesus, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. There's only one group who can sing that song. That's the church. Not angels, not just the Jewish people in and of themselves, but the church. So, when we, the church, are in heaven. We are going to be consumed by this vision of the glory of God who sits upon this throne. And when you're there, when you're before the throne room of God, you will want to worship. You see that as in Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. That whenever people are around God's throne, that there is worship. I mean, it's just worship, worship, worship. 
And in verses 8 through 11, we see the throne room of God, and it's just overflowing with praise and worship. And it's corporate worship, by the way. It's, 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 it's believers. It's angels. It's creatures. And so as I wrap it up, I want to take us back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where John said this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door. Everybody say door. There was a door standing open in heaven. In other words, it's not a gate with St. Peter holding a clipboard, listening to dumb heaven jokes. Peter's not there letting us in. John chapter 10, verse 9 says this. Jesus said, I am the door. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the door. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Twice in heaven, or twice in Revelation, heaven is opened up. Right here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And then, after the events of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And in the first occurrence here, you have somebody who goes up. That's John. And in the second occurrence, Revelation 19, somebody comes down. In the first uh, occurrence, you know, John representing the church, the church goes up. In the second occurrence, Jesus with the armies of heaven, with the, with the church, comes down. Heaven comes down. Jesus told you and I this. He said in John chapter 14, he said, My Father's house has many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Everybody say, come back. Jesus says, I will come back and I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You see, Jesus told us, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to take you where I am. Man, I don't know about you. I can't wait for that moment. I can't wait for that moment when the trumpet blast sounds and the voice says, giddy up or come up here or whatever the language is and we will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. So comfort each other with these words. Get excited about what Jesus is coming to do. He's coming back. He's coming back. And my question is, do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Are you ready for when he comes back? If, he, if Jesus said, I'm coming back right this moment, would you go be with him? If the answer is no, I want to give you that opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to have the confidence that myself and so many of us have that we're part of the family of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. He died for our sins. We're just not good enough. We've sinned. We've fallen short of his glory. We need someone to be a sacrifice for us. And Jesus said, I'll be that sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you say, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to receive forgiveness. I'm ready to join the family of God, and I'm ready to be confident that I know where I'll go when I die or when I'm raptured. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.